This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. 1980s now. Hey, welcome to a special. Look, I already told you guys, I'm not going to call this a bonus. John basically pointed out that every word I was using was a synonym for bonus. (laughs) I I think it's a bonus. It's really a bonus. Yeah. But don't let that discourage you. Because bonus is a positive mm-mm. word. Bonus. Exactly. I thought you said it's a suppositive word. And I thought no, that- that's different. That's different. Oh, hey, never has an employer said, here's a bonus. And you said, no, thank you. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take the bonus. Or well, they said it's in the form of a suppository. <laughs> and then you, it, it's like a conundrum. How badly do I like this well, bonus? What's the dollar amount? And if the mean, dollar, he's like, look, and the money's price. actually in the suppository. So the more money you get as a bonus, you see where I'm going with this, right? How badly do you want the bonus? How valuable is it? How, to oh you? my How big goodness! A bo- wow, Lori Miller does not. Lori Miller does not deserve well, this. Is that gonna? That's oh, Lori, that's I'm so sorry. The Maybe money I should. want will not fit in my prison wallet. Okay, okay. okay. Oh. I feel like this should be all cut out, but we shouldn't hide who we really are. How we talk off air. <laughs> but if you use it, it's not really off air. It's actually. Hey, watch oh, that we there. <laughs> meta. All of that is to say, <laughs> don't tune out because this is uh, a very, uh, it's a special interview for me. I've told you about this a number of times already, mm-hmm. how excited I was to be able to speak with Lori, who was one of the original members of Exposed, which became Expose, mm-hmm. which ultimately mm-hmm. became, right. you know, or, or set the groundwork for the uh, group that as we know it today. But I'm not going to steal any thunder from Lori because she tells us that story in this interview. So here's my chat with Lori Miller. Our guest today was one of the founding members of the vocal group Exposé. Along with Sandra Casanos and Ali Lorenzo, our guest sang on Point of No Return and other future hits, toured the country performing those songs, and earned a contract with Arista Records. What happened between that record deal and the group's ultimate top 40 success with a different group of ladies has been the subject of folklore, or worse, has been completely unknown. Today, our guest has returned to the stage performing the songs she helped popularize, and she joins us right now to help us unravel this 1980s mystery. Please welcome to the show, Lori Miller. Hey, I'm moving my camera, sorry. That's okay. Hey, you know, everything that I've learned about you, because look, I, I guess well, we'll get into this story, but everything I've learned about you now recently, anticipating our talk, I'm not surprised you'd be adjusting the camera. You know, you seem to be a person who cares about those things. And uh, as a creative person and a person with an eye, you know, for detail and beauty and, you know, that you'd be composing your shot even here at the last minute here. Yeah. I got to tell you. So, you know, we did this episode. I've already mentioned on the show you were going to come on because we did that episode about expose and we talked to the, you know, the three ladies that are expose. I want to say currently, but it it sounds. They're expose now. I mean, they to court they fought for the name they own the name and they are expose today yes it sounds like maybe there's gonna like menudo there might be another expose in a few years but but i was so don't know that's true i was so excited that uh you reached out though um to and look just to be direct you reached out because you wanted to make sure i had the whole story and i want yes when i saw the picture i saw you saying we're gonna do an interview but i saw our picture and i was like you know, you got the wrong picture, right? <laughs> like that's the original, like what's going on. And then I listened to it and I was really thankful that you did that, even though you didn't address it with them, which I would have loved to hear their response. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you, I, I really appreciated, and I know it was somebody that you were co-hosting with you. Right. Was that Violet? Violet, Violet was, yeah. And I know she's very familiar. We're friendly. Right. So, yeah, I was appreciative. And then I, it was, you were so nice. Like, you called me right back. So, Oh, my God. Awesome. I was so scared. Like, I thought... <laughs> I was trying to do this thing because obviously, look, I really appreciate the fact what you did and I wanted to know and, and then to have you reach out. I thought, oh no, I screwed something up. So I was so desperate to get a hold of you. But, you know, you mentioned the interview that I didn't mention it to the, to the other ladies. And quite honestly, it's because I could tell there's pieces missing and I didn't in the eighties vernacular want to start any beef or static. Uh, so this is, that's why this is especially great that I can hear it because you were there. They weren't even there for the that sort of this, transition. This is, so I don't know that they could tell me the whole story like you could. This is true because I know Jeanette has spoken about it recently, only recently, because for years they had a website and I went on and tried to talk to the guy who was running it. I can't remember the name, Apostle Expose. There's like some kind of a like a, it was up there for a while. And I was like, don't you want to know? And he goes, oh, there was no expose before this expose. I said, oh. that's not true. And he made me feel bad. He was like, you're, you know, you're full of shit. I don't know what you're talking wow. about. So, and I'm like, well, this is the truth. I'm telling you what happened. I'm not trying to say anything bad about Jeanette or Joy or Anne, but you know, there was three girls who got the album deal right. and tour and were together for almost four years, working our asses off to get yeah. that deal for nobody to acknowledge it. Now yeah. it's like, it's just not, it's not right. I'm not looking for money or yeah anything just like tell the story the way it is and that's one thing that i've never quite understood you know and that at one point they were calling themselves the original expose and i actually at that point said you know what i really i don't think you should say that i talked to their management i said because you're not the original expose and if you're not going to say the truth at least don't come in now and say and lie about it not that they're they didn't feel like they were lying you know they were they were trying to decipher Cause there's been many incarnations of the group, you know? So mm-hmm. it was Ali, myself and Sandra were the original lineup. There's actually another Lori there before me. And I was the choreographer and the stylist. And then I ended up joining the group to act as like sort of the on-site person that did the hair, the makeup, the staging, the lighting, the speaking, the, you know, all that so, stuff. Cause okay. I had the theatrical background. I want to find out how you even, got there. So uh, you're, you're a young person growing up, you know, what sparked your interest in, and look, you're designing now and you've been designing for years, whether it was a uh, part of Princess Cruises yeah. or now at your current work with the jewelers. Um, you were doing designing then, you know, as you mentioned, you did the costumes, uh, makeup, et cetera, for the, for the ladies. At what point then were you interested in singing? Was it something that predated that even, or was it? Yes. Well, my mother was very, and my dad were both involved in theater. My dad uh, did lighting and sound and my wow. mom directed. She did all the musicals at the Hollywood Playhouse. Um, and I grew up in Florida. And when I was like sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I was not a bad kid. I was always been into yoga and I was vegetarian and all that back in the 70s. I'm much older now, but before it was like the thing. And um, my mom, to keep an eye on me, put me in a sh- put me in um, one of her shows called Sweet Charity to just sure. keep me near her. And once I got in that show, and I was in the chorus in that show, I was like, "This is <laughs> this just resonated, you yeah. know? Like I got on stage and I realized I could sing, and I was really actually a shy kid. I and I never really, I always just wanted to be 
with my mom and I just was always artistic, but I never knew that I could sing. Right. And then I, when, um, before that, oh my God, there's such, there's so much to it. But my mom actually brought me into a dance class when I was uh, much younger and I got a scholarship at June Taylor School of Dance up in Fort Lauderdale. So I was dancing and my first gig, I actually got picked up right out of class for going to go on tour, to go to Spain with a gentleman named Frankie Kane. And he impersonated Liza Minnelli and Julie Andrews. And he's incredible. And we went to Spain and we played in the, in Madrid and Teatro Victoria. And then we were in Barcelona and then we were there for about three months. And that was my first introduction. So I wasn't singing then, but I was going out to clubs at night and singing and sitting in and doing jazz gigs because I really like jazz. So how old were you at that point? Um, That was the seventies, early seventies. I have to do the math, <laughs> but I wasn't that young. I started late, okay. actually. I started singing to my twenties, and, okay. and when I was in expose, I was in my early thirties. Is that right? And now it's like thirty years later, so I'm in my sixties. Wow! Yeah, I can't believe that. I'm actually sixty-six. Come on now! <laughs> it's crazy. That is Sing. insane. Don't eat animals. You'll be healthy. Oh no, I'm in trouble. Tell that I'm older. I mean. I feel great and I still have a lot of energy and I still, you know, have a lot that I feel like I want to do. And um, so I was in the Frankie Kane show yeah. and then I got um, a chance to audition for Miller Reese. who was in the show at the Sheridan Bell Harbor with a singing spot. And so they really liked me. So they gave me my own little feature. I wasn't the lead singer, but I was a dancer who sang covered dancer, by the way. And, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And it was amazing music. I was with jo- Joan Palethorpe and, the choreography was incredible. And, you know, I was legit. I, I had studied jazz dancing right. and I, I was first chair clarinet all through junior high school. So I was uh, competing with like 18 other clarinet. And I think all that training, even though, cause I started singing later, I think playing and being able to read music and playing in an orchestra like that really trained my ear. Sure. And it's just, it's in my family music. Yeah. You know, I just grew up with all that great music. Frank Sinatra, Nelson Riddle, Count Basie. My dad just always had a huge stereo system. And my parent, my mom sang in a group and played piano, played clarinet. So it's always, you know, I just never thought I I would watch my mom would be the lead in all these musicals. And I, I remember watching her, like being scared for her and saying, mm. how can she get up there for right. her? <laughs> Do that. And then I realized when she put me in the show and I finally, you know, got, got up in front of, you know, played a character. It's like, Oh, so you can be somebody else. So it's okay. You know, to be right. Exuberant and flamboyant. And so how, how do you go then from, you know, you said you're, you're still relatively young, maybe in your teens, early twenties, traveling, dancing again, at what point does it transition? I suppose into, even having the opportunity or interest in singing, maybe professionally, you don't know what's going to happen. That's a real, you know, sort of a, this, the arts, even theater, you know, that's a hard gig. Yeah. Uh, a hard job to keep getting, you know, gig after gig. Uh, at what point do you start getting the ambition for it? In the right place at the right time. Yep. You know, when my mom put me in that show and I, I felt that thing, right. you know, it's like, a, you know, you've been, you've done some theater, you sure. get it in your blood and you just, you know, you just want just want that experience, that exchange. Somebody once did a reading on me and said, oh, you've been doing this for centuries, the exchange <laughs> of kundalini, the exchange of energy and conducting the room and doing that, you know, that sort of circular, you know, you feel like 
in a way, I think entertainers are healers in their own way because sure. you come in and you take them away from their reality for those moments that you can bring them in, you know, to your to your world, to your story, to your yeah. experience of what you're doing there. Yeah, it's funny. So, I, I get uh, even doing this silly podcast, you know, where, look, it's silly to... It, I say it's silly because in the grand context of what's happening in the world, it seems frivolous, you know, to talk about things I love from the 1980s. But to your point, in, with when we have that stuff happening in the world, you need these kinds of moments of, you know, levity and connection. And uh, as yeah, reminiscing medicine. is like the best drug there is. When yes. we first started going through COVID, I went through all my old VHS tapes and transferred everything over. And I started this page and all. I was with Princess for 14 years. It was time of my life just sailing around the world, being a complete nomad, never mm-hmm. in one place, wow. right? And just do, having these big families of casts, you know, where we were all together uh, performing. And it's not the same now. I'm so glad I got to do that when I did. Yeah. And just to share that again and all of us reliving that. And it was just felt, it was such a good feeling, you know, to yeah. go back and remember who you are and what you've done and what you've experienced and all the lessons learned. We did uh, share some research where you're, you're right. I mean, and, and to back it up biologically, like scientists and doctors saying that there's something about reminiscing that actually is healing and good for strong mental health. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's physical health too. Cause you look great. You say you're 66. Maybe that's a question. We don't know what but our research has, doesn't bear that out yet. Well, um, I'm plant so, based. I just want to put that out there. I don't eat any animals and I haven't for mm-hmm. like about seven or eight years now. And I was vegetarian for years before that. And I do a lot of yoga and Qigong and uh, dancing and walking and cycling. And, you know, you just got to keep moving yeah. to keep everything yeah. working. Right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, we'll get this in a moment, but, and have an ambition for something, you know, to continue to passion, passion for something. Okay. So I guess getting to moving towards expose, we know that expose was a group. Oh, okay. So after Am I, I jump into a head, far ahead. No, no, I've got, I, I see what you're trying to get the timeline of how, yeah, it, how yeah. it, it, it's curious to me, uh, you know, just as a base sort of thing, it's curious to me how folks, especially in the arts come to doing those things. Yeah. I, we, I didn't plan it. I didn't yeah. even know it was an accident. So I was doing corporate gigs with a good friend of mine, Ken Samuels, who was also my dance teacher and his sister, Sue Samuels teaches at the dance factory in New York city. And I was with him for years down in Florida. And, um, I, he was doing big corporate events and we did a lot of audience participation and we played characters, which Mm. also every step of the way, you may not think that it's going to add like, well, up to you having a career, but all those things add to your abilities of being able to read a crowd and know how to interact with people and know how to, when to turn left or turn right. Right. right? right. And when I was in that class, the, another girl who was there, Daria Melendez, she um, knew Frank Diaz, who's the executive producer for Expose. And he was actually looking for dancers for another group of his called Technolust. Okay, sure. He put, she connected me with him and I auditioned for Technolust and became Spice uh, in Technolust with her. So she was sugar, I was Spice. But, and that was with, um, oh, he'll kill me. I can't remember his name, but it's in my bio. You'll read it in there. It's on my website. Um, He had a song called Woman. And 
then he thought, you know what, you know what, she she really needs to have a real thing because she's too strong to be spice behind me. Everybody's asking about spice, you know. So when Frank and Lewis put expose together, they asked me, and I Frank and I were dating at that time, so we had gotten together, and he was actually my fiance for a while. And he, um, when he was putting expose, he asked me about it, but I didn't really want to be in a group. I wanted to kind of do my own thing, but he asked me if I would do the choreography and stylize the group and work with him on putting it together. Mm. So I did. And then, um, and then I ended up loving it and loving Ali and Sandra and became part of the group it, with a promise that I would get to do my own thing, but it like took off. Yeah. And we always had this argument, like what came first? Cause the song of course, right. Comes first. But every time we did a show, we were so synchronized and so choreographed that it just how the both of those together and who knew that I would just happen to be at that audition to meet Frank at that time that he was doing expose and we were called exposed at right. first. And I was singing in a top 40 band at the same time as well called ecstasy. Oh, so when okay. I was, wasn't on stage doing top 40, I was also singing covering point in a return in the band because it was out for nine months before we ever got picked up. I think it was about six months before they ever went out and started performing it and actually promoting it. Right. And so, and I guess just taking a step back. So, so, uh, Louis Martinet from, yes. uh, is the, is the gentleman. Louis Martinez at the time. Oh, okay. That explains it. So Louis <laughs> Martinez or Louis Martinet is the writer creator of, of the music that ultimately right. you sing as expose. He partners with Frank, who's with Pantera records. Their who, partners, right? Who had a techno lust in it. Studio, it was called. What was it called? 4040. 4040. Okay. Pantera Studio. Pantera, Pantera, right. Yeah. Which had a number of different dance acts. Yeah, they had quite a few. They worked with quite a few. I mean, back then, the Miami scene was really happening, you know, and yeah. all that freestyle. And it, it was more than freestyle, but it was mainly like a, it was just coming out freestyle music. I think Shannon really started it. Sure. And then we were like right in there. We, their, our timing was perfect. Yeah. And Allie actually wasn't supposed to sing Point in a Return. Sandra was, but she never showed up for the recording date. So Allie did the, mm. the demo and they did demo pressings. That's when they had vinyl. Right. And well, we had vinyl again now. And they took that to the clubs and everybody just loved it. I loved it. I really loved Allie's voice on that. You know, it's it's interesting. Like so, back then in the in the nineteen eighties, songs like uh, "Point of No Return" wouldn't be on a top forty. They weren't on top forty yet, and we know technically they didn't make it to the top forty to a couple of years later. But what we had were these club hits, and a lot of artists who made it mainstream started out that way. Madonna started out that way, you know, getting yeah. a hit in the clubs first, and and same thing they with exposed the club with a cassette. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> it's like, play my tune, play my song, just to test it to see how it yeah. would go. And it was just mm -hmm. killing it. And there was test pressings everywhere that all actually have my handwriting. So if you have a te test pressing, pressing with handwriting on it, it's me. Yeah. So wow. that's how far back I go. Excuse that's me. a collector's item. Yeah. So as, as you mentioned, the three ladies that with, with, we were with you, originally they're exposed. At, at some point when you get the, I think it's when you get the record deal that you change it to expose. But Arista changed it to expose when they signed us. So okay. David German really loved the record. He was A&R for uh, Arista Records at the time. Right. And he came down and saw us and he convinced Clive that we should, that he, they should pick this up, this 12 inch. And it just like, we would go out every weekend. This is for like three, three and a half years. Right. We went out like every weekend 
and did four or five shows, sometimes two shows a night. Right. That's a lot of work to put in. And then we did the whole album deal for somebody not to recognize. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like we were just the studio singers. You know, there was a lot. And then it all changed so fast. Nobody knew what happened and nobody ever talked about it. There was cease and desist. I couldn't say I was yeah. formally of. So and there was when you say you're playing out, just so folks know, you're not just performing Miami, where this group was born. No, we went to New York, Chicago, California. Yeah. I really, the fans out of California, I think, really put us on the map. It is interesting to me, you know, you talked about freestyle music. So freestyle music was born in the 1980s. You know, it is this evolution of, it has some hip hop elements. In, in Miami, it has more Latin elements. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is Latin, uh, created by Latin folks. Um and like you said, early in the 80s, we had some different sort of styles of it. But as it got cl closer to later in the 80s, it became more like the sound of expose. But it's curious to me how, you know, the middle of the country, a lot of the middle of the country didn't even know about this music. You know, it, it was Miami, New York, L.A., maybe Chicago, but otherwise. That was the first time I ever got chased by. In Chicago? Yeah. we When we, when we left the group, the car was kind of a, a little bit away. And we were walking and all of a sudden we turned around and like the crowd is running after us. We felt like, yeah. oh my God, we're like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> running to this car to get in the yeah. car quick, get in like the lift. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a love affair. It was yeah. so, it was so cool. That era, you know, everybody was in the club. Everybody was dancing. Everybody just, that music was so like, it's crazy to me because whenever they would put on that, dun, 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 oh, yeah. everybody like, shit and yep. just start screaming and dancing and jumping up and down. And, and I remember not too long ago when I, I finally went to see uh, Joya and Ann and Jeanette. And when the song came on, it was like one of those moments where I was like, it is outside. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, yeah. It's our song. So speaking and speaking about it being your song and, and, and sort of the evolution of how clubs worked, I was a teenager when I was a teenager in the eighties, I, I was DJing, you know, it was, was one, one of my ambitions to DJ parties and dances and ultimately clubs. So I started doing it as a young person, 14 or 15 years old. I had at first, I, I didn't have the Pantera version. I had the first Arista one, which was that black and blue kind of like a yeah. horizon or something on it there. And that's what I played. And you're right. I was DJing for young people at that point. Bonkers. It wasn't on the radio yet, but we got, I had friends that were old enough to go to clubs or we'd go to record stores and say, what's well, hot. And they'd take things down from the wall. Take this. You want this, you know, these 12 inch records. Yeah. And so that's how I first had it. I don't know. Honestly, I'm trying to, well, I think I recall that at some point when it's huge on the radio, a few years later, it sounded different to me, but I don't think I knew why I probably assumed it was a remix or because some of the instrumentation is right. different. But I never would have well, thought there was a whole changing of the guard. You tend to think that a group is the group. You know, there was back in the day, there was like people like Bob Rosenberg, who's from Will to Power. Right. He was very close with us. And and there were DJs like that, DJ Samba, who who would do these mixes on Power 96. And mm -hmm. they would play it, even though it was like in a power mix, it was mixed in with a bunch of other stuff. Right. So it was kind of on the radio, but it wasn't on the radio as like, exposed or yeah. or probably not the top 40. It was some no, sort back, of, yeah. Yeah. Back then it had to be the, you had to have strong club play to get noticed, right. To get picked up. Right, yeah. You know, it was pretty grueling 
And the deal that we had with Pantera Records was not great. Mm. They were really seriously underpaid and overworked. And it was difficult, you know, like you would go and it wasn't just like an easy show. We were dancing. So we were our hair, we come in and our hair was straight up like this. Right. Okay. <laughs> By the time that first show was like, it was hanging down. It was, was so, <laughs> and it wasn't like easy, you know, like the, we had this amazing track and we sang live. We didn't lip sync anything, but there was right. no monitors. We're working in nightclubs, mm, right? Right. Sure. Horned mics. Yeah. You know, so we, had, we were working it and we did the best we could. And every time we went out, like even in California, when we would go out, before we'd even start the show, the fire department and the police were there because it was always oversold. Mm. There was times when we had to pull people up on stage. Wow. I mean, it, was, it was great. It was super fun, but it was, it was hard work. And so um, Allie at some point didn't really think that she wanted to continue. She was petrified of being on stage. It wasn't so much like once she got on stage, she was good. It was before that, you know, right. like I still get super nervous when I go on, but she would get to the point where she had so much anxiety about it and so worried about not being able to hear. And, you know, mm, it's super right. high mm-hmm. and not being able to hear and trying to sing on these beat up microphones. I yeah. mean, it's not like a, we were in theaters towards the end. We got into bigger places where we had better sound checks and we had a band and it was easier to perform, you know, as a performer, it's, if you can't hear yourself, oh, it's, yeah. it's difficult. And so, and there was a lot, there were some issues with Sandra and I think I love her, you know, I love Sandra so much. She's not here to say her part of the story. She's passed away for a couple of years now and it's, it's just breaks my heart. And recently I've been going out to perform as the original and doing the original versions of our songs and it just, I miss them so much. I'm still very friendly with Allie. So Sandra was going to leave and Allie wanted to leave. And I was going to be the only original one. And we had the album deal. Mm -hmm. So we had done all these songs and we had laid down all the vocals. But Sandra is actually not on that exposure album. And then when we were out in California doing a show, there was a band called New Breeze in a club. And we saw them rehearsing. And I saw this girl, the lead girl. And I said to Allie, look at this girl. She kind of even looks like you. Mm -hmm. And she sounds great. She could be your replacement. So we really watched her and we watched her sing and we thought, you know, we were all excited about her. We told Lewis about her. That's Jeanette. Mm-hmm. So we actually got her the gig wow. mm-hmm. and uh, she, she, her version of it is different. So she came in and Joya was singing in a band in Florida that we saw and she was great. So it was going to be Joya, Jeanette and me. And we had pretty much finished the album, but I didn't see Joya and Jeanette very much in the studio, mm. just a little bit because Allie and I were in there doing, because Arista wanted Allie who was singing on Exposed to Love. Right. It's an interesting story, right? Because the two incarnations are kind of on the Exposure album, but the Exposure album was, it's, was so different. So at the last minute, the album was done. I had done all my vocals, all the background vocals with Allie and a bunch of other people and all the ad lib stuff that I did, all the air stuff, all the, ah, that was always me. Mm. <laughs> uh, that was my addition to the whole creation and amongst other things. And then Frank and I had broken up at this point and a lot of stuff had gone down. And when we got the contracts were really not right. I wasn't happy with the contracts the way that, 
that was be two points divided between the three girls and they were paying us like a hundred bucks a show. Oh, wow. And um, maybe they would give me a little extra because I did all the laundry and I did everybody's hair. It took us like six hours to get ready. Sure. You know, it takes time to tease that hair up. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> full lashes and you know, face painting and the, mm-hmm. the costumes were all handmade. And I did it with Debbie Ohanian and I did all the hand painting on it. And, the, you know, and, and it was just plus it was not very they were not very supported supportive especially frank would say oh any bimbo can do this shit it's like i see and we were just you know having all these great amazing shows and with great adoration and sit for hours and sign autographs and yeah you know got the album deal and the tour and the band and the whole thing opening for lisa lisa and the call jam and i found out that you know frank wasn't just with me and mm. we were engaged at that point. I see. So mm. There was always two limos. Oh. Who's in the other limo? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, That's uh, terrible. Yeah. It was, I was broken hearted and knowing that Allie was going to leave and I was there for Allie and I just loved her so much. I'm going to don't get me all emotional now. Well, mm. but it was, you know, it was very heartfelt. It wasn't easy. And I felt like, do I want to keep associating with these guys who are right. going to treat me like this and right. do this and do what they did to Sandra because they weren't telling her what was happening. And, you know, she was coming at me like, why haven't I been in the studio? What's going on? And we were forbidden. And, and so I just felt like, you know, maybe it's better for the new girls if I just leave I now mm. than to make it be a continuous thing. And, right. you know, I somebody said to me, well, is it just sour grapes? Is that why you, you know, you're coming around? I said, no, because I've had a beautiful, wonderful career afterwards. I had my own dance company. And then I was with Princess Cruises. Like I said, I traveled the world doing my one woman show, Mm -hmm. as well as performing in all the big production shows. And I I have loved it and have continued to be blessed and love my life. But it just seems like now there's so much work, right, for these groups. And I was approached to come out and I was working on a, on doing my story, not just about expose, it's featuring expose, but it's also about the whole thing, like you said, about the timing of being in the right place at the right time and yeah. what it takes to be in the business and why it's so important to be smart about making your deals and knowing how the music business works, that it's not just, you know, yeah. the artist pays for everything. I think it's the most surprising thing about this story is that ultimately the three of you walked away. I would have assumed it was, and again, like you, you had good reasons. You all had, yeah. You all had good reasons, but yeah. And I think that's some of the narrative on the internet, you know, depending on where you get your information yeah. that you were fired or driven out or, or something like that had to be replaced. Or that we didn't have commercial success. Well, right. we got the album deal. Right. We were booked every weekend, like four or five shows, yep. you know, a weekend. So how is that not commercial? I mean, we worked a lot. Yeah. So to say something like that, so it really kind of motivated me to say, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from the girls now. They, you know, they've done incredible and they brought it to the next level. Who knows where it would have gone with the original lineup, you know, but uh, just tell the truth, you know, to, so I think it's an interesting story. And I think this is good that I'm saying this for me, for the original group and for the girls now. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, you know, by coming out now. But I just think it's an interesting story. This is a 
hit song that was done twice. And the CD, the pressing, there's half of the CDs that came out have Ali's version of Point of Return and half have the new version. Right. That's kind of cool. Like how many songs have two versions of the hit song that did, that sold that many? Yeah. Our friend Violet has the, the original. Yeah. Our version of it. And that's a version I use in my show. I do the original version of Love is Our Destiny, which is completely different because Anne came in, replaced me last minute because mm. they were already ready to go. The album was done. They were pissed because they had to go back in and re-record. So they left all my background vocals. They took my name off the album. They put out cease and desist that I couldn't say because they were mad. Yeah. It does feel like, you know, you mentioned the thing with Frank and the two limos and that's terrible, but it's, it feel like even the way you're talking about the studios, it's almost like that. I feel like, you know, some of you are in one studio, some of you are in another and it's, you don't have an idea of who's recording what because it's kind of done on the down low until, you know, deals are finalized. Jeanette, even when she, I saw her interview recently, she said, I don't even think they knew. I said, yeah, we knew Sandra didn't know, Mm, but Ali and I knew what was going on, but I didn't think I was going to leave. I was, you know, and I, yeah. So at some point, uh, you know, so in 87, they re-record it. Um, obviously, that group goes on to find success in the late 80s, early 90s. Is there at some point where you feel, because it's so close in time, look, if it were me, I'd start, I don't know, you know, uh, replaying things in my head. Maybe I should have made a left when I made a right. Um, was there some point you have regrets that maybe you didn't stay with the group? Um, at the time... No, no, it was meant to be that way. But then when I started to look back to see if they were going to acknowledge, they never did Mm. until recently, maybe two years ago, Mm. acknowledge that we existed. You know, it was only because it was written up in the Rolling Stone Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and their book was documented in there about the original three. And then when I reached out to the expose apostle wherever it is that website that the guy who was running that was not nice to me i was like you know i'm not trying to cause any trouble it's just that well he should know right i mean wouldn't you want to know what really i mean it's kind of cool the story is cool and yeah there's it's two completely different versions ali has this really sweet bell tone soprano voice she's very you know young in her singing at that time when she, and that was like kind of the scratch demo vocal that she did Mm -hmm. that they pressed, you know? So I love that era of music. So much of it sounds, you know, it was getting easier for people to make their own records because we were having synths and digital recording. Things were getting a little less expensive and there's so much freestyle music that sounds like people decided I want to make a record and it sounds passionate and it doesn't sound perfect. Mm -hmm but it's almost like the emotion is baked into it because it's not auto-tuned and all digital, right. and, you know, still some analog. Ali and I ended up singing on a lot. We sang on, um, Will to Powers songs, Dreamin'. Right. That's you. And, yeah. I've sung yeah. along with you. I didn't realize that at the time. Stay yeah. with me. Don't ever go away. <laughs> you can really hear yeah. me on that. And we're on yeah. all the tracks on exposure. Uh, come go with me. Come go. I mean, I always felt like they didn't really like my voice. I was like the oh. one they liked the least because I was the most legit, you know, as I mm. did theater. But recently I've worked with Lewis and he said, are you kidding me? That's not true. I've yeah. never said that. You're on, listen to where you are sitting on every track just about. Mm. So, you know, you mentioned Lewis talking to him recently. 
it does strike me as curious in the very least that, look, Lewis started this with Frank and Frank's yeah. partner at the Pantera. Uh, Lewis wrote all the music. You know, he's he's the behind that do 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 do. He sat down. That came in his mind or his heart. But he is, you know, we know he he appeared at a recent performance of yours. How is it that you two are still friends and performing, appearing together? And it, he seems to have less of a relationship with the current. Yeah, they're expose. not nice to him. <laughs> they don't that? really talk to him. Oh, they're not nice to him because they they associated him with it was Ismael Garcia, right. Frank Diaz, and Luis Martinez or Luis Martinez, and. Lewis was the producer, right? He was in the studio making music. He wasn't on the road with us. He didn't see what was happening on the road. He wasn't part of the putting the contract together and that right. whole big uh, feud that they had. They went to court, you know, to get the name. They didn't secure. Frank and Ismail didn't get the trademark. on right. yeah. How can yeah. you not make sure that's not in place? Yeah. And so the girls and, you know, they didn't have much part in what the girls, you know, were working. I mean, who knew that, you know, now there would be so many 80s shows out there. If you look, there's a ton. Oh, yeah. There's Absolutely. a ton of work and the girls are working like crazy. I mean, they they had their attorney call me recently and take something down that because they said it looked like Expose was going to be performing there, even though it says Laurie Miller. Uh so I had to rework it a little bit. I see. And I had to, you know, luckily I had some good friends that helped me legally. Okay. Yeah. So um, I changed it. I don't, I'm not trying to hurt them. Yeah. You know, but uh, I, the fact that they've never spoken to me and the only time I did see Joya once and Joya has been pretty cool. And she's the only one who really acknowledged me in the beginning and said, you know, we would never be without you, but Jeanette, who she would never have this gig if it wasn't for Allie and I, um, you know, has never acknowledged that we mm. existed until recently. Right. And I guess I get it, you know, and, and too, like they're just not super friendly or welcoming or wanting to know anything about me other than I just don't say that your expo original expose. Um, I don't know. Look, I'm to them. I can't. Like I mentioned earlier, we started this. I'm not looking to try to start any beef or static. Me neither. And, and definitely not between you and Lewis, but I did. There's enough shit going on in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to cause any problems with you and Lewis, and I don't imagine I will. So I say that, and it sounds very dramatic, but in, in researching to speak with you, I, I, I came, just happened to come across this Chicago, Chicago Tribune article from 1987 where they interviewed Lewis, oh, really? and, and already the way he tells the story is as if you guys didn't exist. Uh the, sto yeah. the story is there was an audition held. Hundreds of women came and the three women selected were Jeanette, Anne, and Joya. Uh, so even by then I was even knowing that, you know, we were going to talk to them. I was like, see, that's what really bugs me because it would it'd be one thing if we were just like the studio singers and, but now he has a different story. Maybe you should interview him. Yeah, I'd be curious. Yeah. You know, I, I probably would reach out to him because. Say that now. And, I, yeah. and honestly, he didn't remember a lot about it because he wasn't with us a lot, but he did. He was involved of course. Right. But um, he wasn't out on the road. Well, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't Arista or Frank and Ismail trying to even, get even um, Clive's book, which I know he didn't write yeah. the way he talks about us is so it's not true. Yeah. Um, and he says that, you know, he just didn't believe in that genre of music. He didn't know anything about us or, to say that we didn't have the it factor. I right. mean, if you look at our 
videos <laughs> and yeah. our promo shots, you know, like I have it on my website, lauriemiller.com. I have all these vintage videos, the VHS oh, yeah. that I sort of transferred over of the original choreography. That was the only thing that I walked away with. It was like, and you can't use my choreography. Right. The girls didn't want to, and Jeanette and Joy didn't want to get dressed and do all that stuff that we mm. did. I thought it was such a huge part of it because yeah. we would have girls come and they were faces were painted and their hair was, you know, yeah. I mean, well, we would have to get in the limo. We'd have to sit like the way we were like that. Just so our hair would fit inside the car. You should open the sky roof or whatever it's called. <laughs> Stick your hair out to there. You know, mostly, even though there was a lot of heartbreak and, you know, a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of people didn't know what happened. It was like such a love affair, the whole thing, you know, right. and it's and, I, and I'm about that. And if I and with my story, I'm not about to dog anybody or anything. I just want to tell the story. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting what happened. And, you know, it's got everything. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. <laughs> that sounds like the 80s right there. Yeah. <laughs> Big hair, great costumes. The uh, yeah, and you know, I, I'm look. I'm so glad you reached out to me because I, I, I'm very much of the feeling that folks who deserve praise, who put in the work, should be recognized. And you know, it started with that post because I realized we had touched upon it a little bit on the episode where we spoke to the other ladies, and it occurred to me that you know it's not really known, and it should be known their actual story. Well, you know, they they don't have a their blood in it. You know what I mean. Like when I hear Anne talk and she says, like, I don't even know why they say we're Latin. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I mean, it came out of an era that was so full of passion and so full of art yep. and so full of Latino <laughs> music. Right. You know, I mean, that's the driving force behind it. So, you know, when they were talking, I felt like, dude, yeah, <laughs> where's the. Yeah, it just didn't feel like, you know, they were, they, I don't, you know, how could they be? They came into like a moving train and just jumped on. Yeah, right. So let's cut to today, because like you mentioned, there's a lot of opportunities for 80s groups. You're now having an opportunity to go out there and sing, and you're so excited about that. Um, but also, I had learned that, uh, if I'm correct here, a record you recorded when you're during yeah. your solo career is being pressed again. How's that happen? Uh, yes. I didn't do a thing to make that happen. It happened all by itself. So tell us about this. How, yeah. How did this come to be? What is the song? Well, right and, yeah. Before I left the group, I was already doing stuff because I always did want to do my own thing as well. Right. So I was working with Michael Morhong and we had two songs called uh, Love is a Natural Magical Thing and Just for You. And my good friend, Debbie Ohanian, who owned Meet Me in Miami Clothing, she did a lot of our costumes. I would work with her, come in with sketches and she would come up with stuff too. And we, we built all the costumes for expose. And she was like, I, I'll back it. If I can sell clothes, I can sell records. Big mistake. Mm. So she did, she was the executive producer. Um, and we did the single of love is a natural magical thing. Um, and Bob Rosenberg did the dub version the dub mix we sat that's back in the day when he had a razor blade and tape and hand oh. splice that dub together if you hear it he's an artist yeah, and that, yeah. that's just <laughs> we sat for hours together and i watched him do that it's my favorite part of it so recently these little small labels or dj labels were contacting me trying to look for a copy of that record wow and i didn't have any 
to sell. And I don't have any. And Debbie had, had thousands, got rid of them all. I don't know where they went. They probably got destroyed. So I had two different offers from different labels in Amsterdam, Pasagi Records. Uh, and they wanted to do a short pressing of like 400 vinyl to, for DJs again. And so we, I redid the album cover and we, we, I had the two inch tape. So we went in oh, and wow. ingested them and um, sent it to them. And they, they had somebody, a good friend of theirs do a, remix that I was so excited to hear, but it's, it's great. It's just like an extended mix. It's, I wanted to hear him do something like with the dub more with the dub. Mm. And I had a guitar version of it. So that's coming out in July. I vinyl. That's so exciting. And there was like one version of it for on sale for $125, a 12 inch single. (laughs) Love is a natural magical thing. So it's been being played at festivals, which is awesome. When did it originally come out? Came out in 1986 before I even. Um, okay. Well, there you go. Okay. And then, you know, it got squashed because mm. Frank, you know, did his thing and said, don't help her. Mm. Frank. You know, Frank and I are friends now and he's a oh, minister oh. and he's changed a lot. He does a lot of things for the homeless people. And, you know, it, it was just something that we went through and he kind of got lost in the whole fame thing and the whole I see. deal with it. And, did a lot of things that maybe he's not happy about, but you know, he's a, he's done a lot to change himself. And, you know, I don't want to just make it out that he's just this horrible guy because he does a lot of really great things today. He's not in the music business anymore, right. but at the time, you know, we were all like sort of wrapped up in the, yes. the whole thing. We've all been young and foolish. Yeah. So is there anything, something you can promote? Well, I have a show coming up May 20th in Tampa Bay. Oh. Uh, I should know the venue, but it's on my site. Okay. And it's on, I'm all over Facebook and Instagram and everything. And I've been promoting it like crazy. It's for a good friend of mine, uh, Zeke Ledesma from I Love Freestyle Music. He's, he's the one who came to me. Nobody ever really asked me. I don't think most people really knew that I was around or that I was I don't know, viable, I want to say, you know, yeah, like that still dancing and singing and still, you know, you know right. I'm old, old. <laughs> Alive and kicking. Yes. Literally kicking, like dance it's kicking. It's so fun to come out and just say thank you, you know, and mm. to, to just thank you. And I, I, and I do say that in my show, like for supporting all the incarnations of expose and, and me getting to salute them. And I have this vintage footage of us wow. cute behind me. That's awesome. And it's, it almost seems like Allie and Sandra are with me. Oh. And I know Sandra has a huge fan base and Allie too. And Allie and I are still very close. She doesn't want to perform. I tried. God, mm. I would love to have her come out, but she didn't like it then. She's not going to like it now. Oh. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but you know, it was difficult then. It'd probably be easier for us now, with you know, sound the way it is. And everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going to do that. And then there's a, another surprise show coming up. Okay. And, um, yeah, come see me. And I got t-shirts and I got a t-shirt. I'm going to send one to you. Yes. Um, Will that say the original has a picture of us on it, on oh. the back of it. And uh, I've got pictures and everything. So I really want to see everybody and, you know, just have a good time and experience that and see the original group and what it was like and yeah. salute Lewis and Frank and everybody who created it. You know, it's, it's heartwarming to hear where you're at now uh, that, you know, 
and obviously it's look, it's been what 30 some odd year, 35 year journey yeah. for you. So we're, I'm just ducking in. I, I remembered the music in 85 and now I'm ducking in where your life is now, but it's just heartwarming to hear how healthy, how happy, uh, how the perspective you have on it, how you're still able to get joy out of this, you know, sort of curious and challenging at times and, and, you know, obviously exciting and thrilling time in your life. It's, there's something very endearing about that. And I, I'm really grateful that you came on the show today to, to share the actual story so that uh, our fans know, and, and not only the true story, but also uh, so our fans know the story, period. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Will. Thanks for being so cool and being so easy to talk to. I appreciate it. 